I'm Todd McKay. This is a Canadian Taxpayers Podcast. We're all about lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. We got something a little bit different here. We gave uh, the rest of the crew a little bit of time off. So we put together a best of Waste Watch for you to listen to. Now, take it easy. Got to be careful with your heart rate on this stuff. It can't put up the blood pressure. Try to think of it as kind of funny, but also motivation to get back into the fight in the new year. Enjoy. It's time for Waste Watch. This is the part of the show where we make fun of politicians for the stupid, stupid things. Not the debatable things. The stupid things they spend our money on. Aaron, you've got a wing dinger this week. What are we talking about? I got I to give the disclaimer up front. Um, some of this content might not be exactly child-friendly. If you have kids listening, you might want to have them cover their ears, put the earmuffs on because some of this might get a little bit racy. Yeah, there's some uh, adult content here. We're going to try to keep it tame, but it is what it is. Okay, now that we've got everybody's attention, what are we talking about here? Well, the first item is uh, something that the Fed spent uh, thousands of dollars on. There's a Canadian artist who is living over in Germany, and she held a, a, an art exhibit, um, which was actually composed of talking sex toys. This one sounds made up. I have to say, like, I've looked at the documents. I know it's real, but it's an art exhibit in Germany with animated sex toys. It sounds made up. What in the world is the government doing here? Well, we should back up a little bit first because this actually has to do with something called the Mission Cultural Fund. It's a slush fund that Global Affairs Canada has. We've done a bunch of other stories on it. Some of you might remember um, the infamous uh, chefs flying around the world. Justin Trudeau flew an Indian chef to India. Um, They flew chefs to a bunch of other um, Canadian embassies around the world at great expense to taxpayers. Um, Anyway, this fund, it's been around for four years. Justin True brought it in. And it's basically been thrown to spray money around at uh, so-called art and cultural events all around the world, all in the name of, of promoting our brand, promoting Canadian culture. Yeah, and in this case, the particular Canadian artist in question is Peaches. She's also a musician, a visual artist. You know, we've got the, the name of the show written down here. I'm, I'm not even going to say it. My mom listens to this show. This is, that would just get weird for me. But the show has sculptures and prints and videos and giant sex toys uh, that she calls fleshies. And then they can talk and they've got, they kind of take on a life of their own. It's weird. We've, we've got links to it. If you, if you want to visualize this stuff, that's, you know, you, you can do that. But it's, uh, it gets weird. Yeah, and that costs $8,800 uh, from taxpayers from this fund. Um, and, you know, the Canadian Embassy in Berlin, which, of course, also funded by taxpayers, kicks some money in as well. So there's more taxpayer money there. And, uh, you know, like you said, we've got some footage up on our website if you want to check it out at taxpayer.com, if you, if you want to see what your, your tax dollars bought. But it is uh, certainly pretty racy stuff. Yeah, not really work appropriate. Uh, Peaches, she's the, uh, the big time artist here. What did she have to say about it? Well, uh, she's actually pretty great, graceful about it. And you can, uh, you can actually hear what she has to say here. Thank you, Canada. Really, it was so exciting to have that support and to be, um, you know, uh, recognized so that I could do this work. 
So that was Peaches herself talking about this. Uh, Peter Ackman, uh, he's a, an investigative journalist. He did a ton of work on this, actually interviewed Peaches for us. That's where that comes from. Um, now, listen, I, I get uh, art is personal taste. And I'm sure Peaches has uh, some big time fans who appreciate her work. But I'm going to go on a limb here. If you walk down Main Street and say, hey, how do you feel about uh, your tax dollars uh, paying for a sex toy art installation? You're going to get a lot of frowny faces, I think. If you told those people it's a sex toy art installation in Germany, nobody you know will even see it. Uh, yeah, I think people are going to have a little bit of a problem with that. But I want to be fair about something here. We're not just picking on peaches. The Mission Cultural Fund handed over a truckload of money to a rock star I think we all know. Yes, and uh, I have to say this one personally cuts me like a knife, Todd, to, to hear this story. It's, it's Brian Adams, who some people may not know, uh, actually has a, has a hobby of, of taking pictures. He's an amateur or I guess uh, aspiring professional photographer. And this Mission Cultural Fund, um, money came from that to pay for a very fancy red carpet event at the Royal Ontario Museum in Toronto. Um, you know, they have a, they have an annual ball every year. And this was in 2017 where, uh, Brian Adams had a photo exhibit and, you know, celebrities, including Prime Minister Trudeau, Joni Mitchell, Wayne Gretzky, The Weeknd, um, were featured. Um, and this was, as I said, subsidized partly with taxpayer money. Man, rock stars don't do anything cheap. How much did this end up costing taxpayers? Well, uh, they got more money than the Peaches event. It got $51,000. And remember, this is a, this is a, a museum that already gets $27 million a year in taxpayer support in Ontario. Um, now, we've reached out to everybody that we've mentioned in the story. No one has, has got back to us or said anything about these costs, except for Global Affairs, which continues to just uh, provide us with a pretty boilerplate defense of this fund. This one is uh, it's super weird too, not sex toy weird, but the Mission Cultural Fund is supposed to be exporting Canadian culture around the world. Toronto is not around the world. Even according to Torontonians, it's the center of Canada. Why in the world are we exporting Canadian culture to the middle of Canada in Toronto? Yeah, say what you will about the Peaches event or the chefs around the world. At least those were, you know, those were outside of our borders. Um, this was an event in Toronto. But, but I also think the obvious question, why does Brian Adams need the help? Um, you know, his net worth is more than $50 million. Uh, I'm quite certain he could have afforded to bankroll something like this himself. So, uh, you know, if we're even going to have a fund like this, which we shouldn't, um, it sh certainly should not be going to subsidize people who, who are worth $50 million a year. Yeah, the old, uh, the old cliche about starving artists, I don't think applies to Brian Adams at this point in the game. Money there makes no sense at all. Listen, obviously, there's way more about this. We've got it on taxpayer.com. Here's the kicker about the Mission Cultural Fund, though. This is the thing that really drives me crazy. If you're going to have a stupid slush fund that's wasting money, at least stay on budget. But in the first three years of the fund, it went $6 million over budget. If you're spending money on dumb things, at least, you know, try to keep the dumb spending under control. 
Yeah, and so to be clear, the total budget over three years was supposed to be less than six million. And over those three years, they actually spent about 12. So they couldn't even keep the waste limited to their wasteful budget. They, they spent twice as much as they were supposed to. Um, and that's the reason we've, uh, we've also launched a petition uh, demanding an end to this fund. You can check it out on our website at taxpayer.com. We'll have a link in the show notes as well. Sign that petition. Let's get rid of this uh, Mission Cultural Fund. It's time for Waste Watch. And that's when we make fun of the dumb things that governments are spending our tax dollars on. James, what do you got for us today? Well, Franco, renovations at Julie Payette's house are actually costing us roughly double what's been previously reported. We thought the renovations at Rideau Hall were costing taxpayers just over 250 grand. Now, that sounds like a lot to begin with, but it turns out the renovations are actually just over $502,000, and Payette still hasn't moved in. I'm sorry, what did you just say? Okay, so we talked about these, these crazy renovations at Rideau Hall before. A few months back, we actually fired off a bunch of access to information requests to see what work Payette was asking to be done at Rideau Hall, her place where she's supposed to live. And it turns out those requests have cost taxpayers almost twice as much as what's previously been put out there. And there's some crazy items we noticed in the receipts. There are renovations for a mission control boardroom and a space exhibit as well. Okay, I got to stop you there. A mission control boardroom? A space exhibit? Does Payette know that she's supposed to be the Queen's representative in Canada and not the Queen's representative on Mars? Now, I'm a huge Trekkie. You know, me and my girlfriend, we're talking about what, what dog we should get, what names we should be calling this future dog. And I'm trying to convince her that her future dog name should be Worf. So I get it. But are you seriously telling me that Payette is spending taxpayers' money trying to build the USS Enterprise in her home? Yeah, we're going to need some more details on this. So the space exhibit... It's, it's, it's basically, it looks like a big display of various spaceflight objects with a lot of Payette's old gear and souvenirs on display. That intergalactic theme, though, it extended to other parts of the official residence with the Mission Control boardroom listed in our records. Now, all this sounds cool. I'll give them that. But here's how much it's actually costing taxpayers. Just under $60,000 for the space exhibit and $11,500 for the work that included the Mission Control boardroom. If I really want to spend money looking at rocket ships, I will take my daughter to the Science Center and not Payette's house. Yeah, there it is. That's the issue here. It sounds cool, but this isn't her own money that she's spending. This is taxpayers' dollars that she's spending. And this is probably the worst time to be hearing of a huge bill like that on taxpayers. Now, you said the renovations have cost us more than half a million bucks. So what else are we paying for here? So Payette's office racked up a $139,000 tab for a private staircase that was never actually built. The second most expensive project was listed as a ballroom multimedia feasibility study, which cost $108,000. To be clear, that's just a study with no actual renovation work attached just yet. All right. So who actually is signing off on this stuff? I mean, can Payette just request anything she wants and it gets done? We reached out to the Governor General's office and the National Capital Commission about the work. For those who don't know, the NCC is basically a super-powered parks and rec department for Ottawa, which handles all the official residences and some other stuff in the capital. Essentially, they both pointed the fingers at each other and tried to shirk responsibility. Payette's office blamed the NCC, saying they have final say on all renovation costs at Rideau Hall. The NCC said that anything outside of their official scope is paid for by the Governor General's office, and that there was close collaboration between the department and Payette's office. 
Yeah, sounds like there's definitely a lot of finger pointing going on here. And it sounds like we've got Payette's office and the NCC both trying to play the blame game. But look, at the end of the day, all this money was wasted and taxpayers need someone to be the adult here. The minister is the one who is elected and who's supposed to be looking out for our dollars. And you know what? This is also definitely not the first time that the governor general has taken taxpayers to the cleaners. No, definitely not. Definitely not. And it's, it's important to remember, like this, this work has cost us $500,000 plus, and she still hasn't moved into the house where she's supposed to live. And you're right. This is not the first time it's the wasteful spending has been tied back to Julie Payette. A couple episodes back, we discussed the nearly $650,000 for her over-budget swearing-in ceremony. Payette wasted our tax dollars on the first day of the job. She also has reportedly racked up nearly $700,000 in extra costs for the RCMP due to her, quote, secrecy and resistance to working with her detail. Yeah, I don't think I need to point out the obvious here, but taxpayers are struggling. We need this wasteful spending to stop, and someone has to be the adult, and that means the minister will need to have a bit of a chit-chat with the NCC and Payette and put an end to all this shenanigans. Now, there's a lot of moving parts in this story, so we're going to include the full story in the show notes so you can read more. It's time for Waste Watch. This is when we make fun of the dumb things that governments are blowing your money on. Franco, what do we have this week? Oh, we've got a doozy this week uh, because the electric car manufacturer Tesla, well, it got $60 million in federal subsidies by making a crappier version of its car. How does that even work? What's the damage with this Tesla subsidy? Give us a bit more background. Yeah, for sure. Well, in 2019, the feds launched an electric vehicle subsidy program, which reduces the sticker price by 5000 bucks if the base model is sold below $45,000. And if that base model qualifies, then higher price versions are also eligible for the subsidy, as long as that price is below a limit of $55,000. Now, here's where Tesla comes in, because their Model 3 didn't originally qualify because its price tag was more than $53,000. So what did Tesla do? Well, Tesla released a new model just for Canada. Now, it was almost exactly the same as its Model 3, but it had a uh, software patch that limited its range to 150 kilometers. And then Tesla stuck a $44,999 sticker price on it. Um, Yeah, so in order to get federal cash to help people buy their fancier car, Tesla had to uh, literally make it a crappier version. Oh, man, I've got an image of Indiana Jones just rolling under that collapsing stone wall at the last minute. That's so obvious. They're not even trying to hide what they're doing. If they price their base model only $1 below the qualifying limit, what's the cost of taxpayers here? Well, it's uh, not cheap. I mean, the total cost of the program is $300 million. And Tesla has received the most from the program. They've raked in more than 60 million bucks and uh, in second place just for context was chevy who took home just over 31 million dollars now here is almost the catch okay because tesla has only sold 126 base model cars while selling nearly 12,000 of the higher class models 12,000 Wow, those are some staggering numbers. All right, I think that's the real kicker here. Tesla's really making out like bandits here, along with their wealthier customers. It's almost a reverse Robin Hood situation. 
they're not sports cars. I mean, these aren't Lamborghinis or Ferraris, but Tesla isn't the average Canadian's car by any stretch of the imagination. I notice that when they pass me on the highway and think, hmm, that looks expensive. Um, we would have asked Transport Canada about this. So what did they say? Oh, we did. We explicitly asked Transport Canada if the actions taken by Tesla uh, fit with the intentions of the program. But uh, surprise, surprise, Transport Canada largely dodged our question and, and just made some comment defending the program overall. You know, Transport Canada told us uh, the department didn't care about what the company did with their prices as long as they met the bureaucratic program requirements. Oh, man, I do not want to buy this for a dollar. This whole program needs a big rethink from top to bottom. We don't need to be subsidizing businesses and wealthier Canadians, especially right now. And this is very timely, you know, because of the throne speech that was laid out. The Trudeau government made a whole bunch of new announcements saying that they wanted to hand out more green subsidies. And just last week, the Trudeau government also made more moves to send corporate welfare rolling out to electric car production in concert, by the way, with Ontario's provincial government. Well, Chris, you know, corporate welfare is bad policy even during the best of times. And, you know, as I look out my window, it's pretty clear that this is not the best of times. I mean, right now, as we're steamrolling towards $1 trillion debt tab, I mean, this corporate welfare should really be a non-starter. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know what? Don't worry if you're out there listening and you want to read more material on this. Well, we've got that included in the show notes. And uh, yeah, us at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we're going to keep hammering these guys for their bad corporate welfare policy decisions. So uh, stay tuned. It's time for Waste Watch. This is the part of the show where we go into the stupid, stupid, stupid things that governments do with your money. And today we've got Renaud Brassard here, our Quebec director. He's back. I, this might be the dumbest story I've <laughs> ever heard. Like, I can't, I can't even, but you need to explain it. Uh, it's your province. So the Quebec government is having some problems with some boats it bought for a ferry crossing. This is the part I've got a handle on. Take it from there. What in the world is going on? Well, Todd, it's a mind-boggling story. Basically, Quebec taxpayers sink, keep sinking millions and millions and millions into boat repairs because uh, their government-owned ferry captains keep crashing into the exact same dock. <laughs> I don't know much about ships. I do know you're not supposed to crash them into, into the dock all the time this is what i know but okay let's break this down there are multiple ships involved in this story yeah so boat number one what happened with boat number one so boat number one is this brand new ship the quebec government got in 2015 from italy and he bought it for 170 million and did almost zero quality control but it, it's not just that they did zero quality control they sent a couple of guys to inspect the ship while it was being assembled these guys found a bunch of issues stuff like air ducts that were already rusted on a brand new ship. They told their bosses about it. And when they, they, they actually waved some red flags, their bosses said, you know, we don't want issues with this ship. You're being insubordinate. We're going to have to let you go. So, you know, uh, obviously a boat where you have quality control issues, even if it's expensive, it's going to have issues. Turns out that the boat didn't really work well. They had issues with the propulsion system. They had to send it for repairs uh, very much last minute and were scrambling to find a replacement ship. 
Okay, so they're buying a ship for $175 million. They send a couple of guys to take a look at it. Those guys are like, hey, guys, I don't think this goat boat is very good. We should not buy this boat. And they're like, I know how we'll fix the problem. We'll fire the guys who think there's a problem with the boat. Is that That's basically what I've got so far. Well, yeah. I mean, if you've got no guys to say there's a problem, clearly there's no problem. That's, problem that's logic, solved. right? Problem solved. <laughs> okay. So the big, fancy, expensive boat goes in for repairs. They need the loaner in the meantime to try to deal with it. So how did the replacement work? Boat number well, two. they decided to buy this ship, uh, the Apollo, from Labrador Marine for $2 million bucks. Now, the Apollo is this old ship from the 1970s. It's a 50-year-old ship. And as, as far as ships go, this 50-year-old is pretty old. But... The guys from Labrador and Marine said, you know, trust us, the ship is fine, it's seaworthy, everything's fine. And well, again, they didn't inspect the boat. They trusted the guys, they trusted the seller at their word. Because what could go wrong? What could go wrong with not actually <laughs> checking to see if the boat works? So let me make that into an actual question. How'd that work out? Well, they, they got the ship. About 10 days later, crashed into a dock, sent it away from, for repairs. Then it came back, and a few days later again, crashed into another dock. Uh, so at this point, the Federal Transportation Safety Board decided to get, uh, to get involved with it. So they decided to inspect the ship. Well, guess what? The ship, they, the used ship they bought, the 50-year-old ship they bought uh, on the cheap, after, uh, without even inspecting it, well, it turns out that it was an absolute lemon and that the ship wasn't even seaworthy. Like some of the issues that the inspectors highlighted were pretty bad. Apparently the hull wasn't even watertight anymore. Yeah, and look, look, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not an expert in seafaring, but I'm pretty sure your hull is supposed to be watertight. You've got to keep the water out. That's a key bit of, of a ship. Exactly, exactly. So, so after they found that out, they decided they would retire the ship, which cost $2 million for about like... 20 days in service, a million and a half in repairs, decided to retire the ship and they, they started a process again. They tried to find another ship, a third ship. Okay, I mean, this is after, so they buy this crappy ship from the 70s, crash it into the dock, not one time, but two times, then decide that, oh, wait a second, it doesn't actually hold water. Better buy a third ship. Okay, so <laughs> I feel like this is almost like a children's story. Like first they did this and then they did that. And third time, Surely to goodness, on the third time, they get it together. What happens with ship number three? So this is kind of ironic, because as they're negotiating to buy this new ship from the Germans, the ship they're supposed to buy crashes into another ship. But they decide to go ahead anyway. You, you know, it's, it already crashed, so clearly it's never going to crash again. So they buy this ship for $39 bucks. They put in six million bucks to put it up to Canadian standard because it's an old ship, not 1970s old, but still old. And well, a few months after the ship launched, guess what happened? It crashed into the same dock. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder. Maybe the dock is the problem. Maybe they need to move the dock. <laughs> like, good grief. These guys are insane. Well, it actually gets a little bit better because. Remember that second ship, like the one right before that turns out was like an absolute the, lemon the and was not even 70s? watertight? Yeah, that yeah. piece of junk from the 70s. Yeah, okay. So, so, the, so the government tries to sell it. And apparently there was no market for, you know, ships that are not seaworthy, not even watertight. And they decided the best thing they could do was to sink it to make an artificial reef for divers to go in. You know, 
kind of a fun project. So the way it works is they give it to this not-for-profit for a buck, but then subsidize a not-for-profit for to the tune of two million bucks to sink the ship. Because apparently it costs two million bucks to sink the ship. You know, they, they keep hitting the same dock, but now they can't even figure out how to sink a ship without spending two million bucks on it. Okay, but, but so they spent... They spend yeah. two million bucks to sink the ship. I've heard of people sinking ships for free, but okay. They spend two million bucks because they've got to get the asbestos out or whatever. But surely to goodness, that's the end of the story. Once you've sunk a ship, there's no more costs involved, right? Well, there's a the thing. The, with the two million bucks, they did not manage to sink the ship. Apparently, they need another four million to actually sink the thing. They, as, as you mentioned, they had to, uh, you know, it's an old ship, so they had to clean out all the hazardous material from it including, of course, asbestos. But yeah, so they actually ran out of money to sink the ship. So they can't sail ships very well, <laughs> but they can't sink them either. Like these guys maybe should just stay away from boats in general. Absolutely. But meanwhile, now it's, uh, you know, it's uh, over a year has passed, a year and 10 days has passed. And that shiny ship that they bought for 175 million, well, now it's back in service. Of course, the issue is not resolved. The propulsion system that was faulty is still faulty. They're not using their shiny new green technology. They're using their like alternate diesel engine to do it. But it's back in service, thankfully. So this brings us to this September. The ships are supposed to undergo scheduled maintenance. Well, as, it's, as it is docked, one of the cables snaps and the ship just drifts away in the middle of the St. Lawrence, hits the bottom of the, riv- of the river and needs even more repairs. And now just last Friday, that third ship that they bought, you know, the one, they, the, the one that uh, they bought for 39 million bucks after it had already crashed once, crashed a second time into a dock in Quebec. Well, guess what happened last Friday? What happened? I, I can't even. It crashed into the same exact dock again. <laughs> These guys, that's unbelievable. Like, I can, that dock, maybe the success story here is that that is the most durable dock in the history of the world. <laughs> it's still there. Like, I think you got to tip your hat to that dock a little bit. Okay, we're joking about this because it is funny. Like, these guys, it's unbelievable. But on the other hand, Taxpayers are take, getting taken for an absolute ride here. This is a staggering level of incompetence, top to bottom. What's the total bill here? Well, so that's the thing. We don't have the total bill yet. But what we know so far is that it costs over $240 million. So that's to buy the first ship, the second ship, the third ship, all the repairs they had to do all the attempts at sinking a ship but failing, and all the uh, replacement air service they had to put into it. And that doesn't include the latest round of repairs because we don't have that bill yet. Yeah, next week they'll probably crash it into the dock again. (laughs) You know what? We've got in the show notes, we've got uh, links. If you find this story unbelievable, and I almost do, click the link, check it out. But this is why we keep an eye on stupid things governments do because they do a lot of stupid things and they do them often. It's time for Waste Watch. That's when we make fun of the dumb things that our politicians are wasting our tax dollars on. So, Franco, what have you got for us today? Oh, I got a good one. You remember uh, Trudeau's failed United Nations Security Council bid? 
Yeah, Trudeau announced his plans to campaign for a seat back in 2016. And this June, we found out that Trudeau's failed UN campaign cost us at least $2.4 million. Yeah, we ended up coming third with 108 votes. So doing some quick back-of-the-envelope math, that's uh, taxpayers paying $23,000 for each vote. On a failed campaign. Franco, $2.4 million is a lot of money <laughs> to be wasting. That's $2.4 bucks that we could have just flushed down the toilet, essentially. But you say that the failed bid cost at least $2.4 So is there more? That's correct. That $2.4 million doesn't account for staff time. And knowing government, I think it's safe to say that would be a big part of the total bill. And it also doesn't count for all of the travel costs. And and I could just imagine all the flying around the feds had to do to try to win over the hearts and minds of the United Nations. Weeks leading up to COVID-19, Trudeau was flying to places like Munich, Dakar, Addis Ababa to lobby for UN votes. So travel costs would clearly be substantial. It sounds like Trudeau was quite the globetrotter during his campaign for a UN Security Council seat. And yeah, Jasmine, I think you're touching on a very important point. It must be nice to travel to all these fancy places, lobby all these bigwigs, all in the taxpayer dime. Sounds like a great job if if you can get it. Now, we don't know all of the expenses and exactly what they went into, but we do know some of the partial expenses that have been released on this. And let me just list a few here. So we got $310,000 so bureaucrats could campaign on a full-time basis at the United Nations. Uh, Then there was $70,000 on hospitality expenses. Yeah, I hear there's definitely some fancy restaurants in New York. There was also $31,000 in flight costs to fly diplomats to New York. Good to know that the federal government is really concerned about that air pollution. And last but certainly not least, $20,000 was spent for consultants and contractors. As if we weren't paying the bureaucrats enough money, we needed consultants too. And just a reminder... These aren't all the expenses, just what we know so far. It's crazy to think of what taxpayers are paying for here. But another thing to remember is the amount of government resources, even just in terms of time, that went into this failed UN Security Council campaign. Trudeau announced the bid four years ago in 2016. His Minister of Foreign Affairs apparently had over 100 meetings and various phone calls about the bid. So think of all of those bureaucrat hours spent lobbying for a seat or Trudeau spending his time campaigning. Taxpayers pay a lot of money for ministers and the prime minister and bureaucrats. So I think it's safe to say that there were way better ways that they could have been spending their time. Yeah, totally agree. Even though that's probably an understatement. But for our listeners out there, as I'm sure we're going to have more on this, we asked our investigative journalist, James Wood, to file a ton of freedom of information requests to find out exactly what hospitality expenses taxpayers were paying for. We're going to find out. We're bureaucrats whining and dining the UN on our expense. Stay tuned for that. Hi, I'm Scott Hennig, president of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. If you've got another minute, I'd like to ask you to think about the one person you know that would really enjoy listening to this podcast. Do us a favor and do them a favor and send them a quick note to let them know about it. At the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we believe there is power in numbers. That's why we've worked so hard to build an army of taxpayers who are ready to push back. And we did it because people like you shared our work with that one person that they knew would really appreciate taking part. Thanks for listening. And thanks for doing your part to make Canada a better place.